0: Activate the time portal. Land before time, land. Land before
1: time, land. From the Cretacean to the Jurassic and from the Great Green Valley to the Big, Big Water. This land was made for time and land. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Land Before Time Land, the show where we examine the insanity that is the business decision to make a million Land Before Time movies. Uh, I'm <laughs> Madeline May. With Chris Nebergall and today we have a very special guest. Uh, He is a comedian and video editor. Uh, He runs his own podcast called It Stinks, which is based on The Critic, one of my favorite cartoon shows of all time. And he also plays drums in a band called Inkblot that I think is one of the uh, best new things that come out of Los Angeles. But who am I to
0: decide? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're 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 only a, a singer songwriter guitarist for it why would you tell
1: people that now i look like a
0: fucking idiot all right <laughs> anyway uh brian rubino hey
2: what's up everyone great, great to be here hey
1: so brian what is your experience with the land before time franchise
2: i definitely remember watching the first land before time movie as a real young kid uh it's probably like maybe one of my earliest like film memories I don't know if I saw it in the theater or pro- probably on on home video and um I was definitely a fan of a lot of Don Bluth movies growing up so like you know Fievel I was a big fan of Secret of Nim. is really great but then yeah just after the first uh uh Land Before Time I never really had any inkling to follow the series as it continued like i was unaware for a long time that the series even did continue let alone that it's now 14 movies strong i i had no idea yeah so you didn't know that there were
1: sequels that came out for this for this
2: movie not until like a few years ago where i i think i was just browsing imdb for whatever reason and um just <laughs> noticed that like Oh my God, there's like so many of these movies now.
1: Uh, That's really funny because I remember seeing commercials for this stuff uh, everywhere. I mean, I watched a lot of like Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon growing up.
0: Yeah, Cartoon Network used to advertise every single sequel. Oh yeah,
1: they would just pile it and pile Hmm. it. Uh, onto the commercial breaks. I think they showed some of them, maybe. I,
0: I remember this one uh, being advertised on Cartoon Network, actually. I, as a little kid, I was like, oh, finally the meteor is happening.
1: Yes, finally the <laughs> meteor is happening. <laughs> yes. Halfway through the franchise, it is now over. We
0: have <laughs> we have finished the podcast early. I guess, w- what are your the, initial the, the, thoughts? The remaining yeah. seven films are about the dinosaurs slowly going extinct in the hellscape that has now been created. Yeah, the next seven right. is
1: actually just a barren landscape that for like a couple and then we see like some mice crawl out for
0: a little bit we, we see and- Littlefoot <laughs> uh, uh, learn to kill in order to survive in this harsh uh, unforgiving land and then he breaks down and cries because he knows that all he's done is by himself another day Uh, when in the grand scheme of things, his kind is, is running out of time.
1: I would love it if in the last Land Before Time movie, like all the dinosaurs are dead, everything's been destroyed, it's an ice age, and out of a little burrow comes a small rat, and that rat's name is Grandpa (laughs) Mouskiewicz. And it all fucking connects. It's like a circle. It
2: rhymes. Yeah, the, uh... (laughs) The Don Bluth shared universe.
1: (laughs) Uh, So, Brian, um, uh, before we dive into it, what are your initial impressions of this movie as someone who's only seen the first one?
2: Yeah. Well, I I remember like, you know, when when you were telling me you were doing this podcast and you were looking for guests and everything and and everything. I, of course, volunteered myself to be a guest. and And you said to me, do you want to do the one with aliens in it? (laughs) and i was like what (laughs) now um yes uh okay so like based on the title alone the stone of cold fire i thought okay is that gonna be like their spaceship is that some sort of alien artifact the stone of cold fire turns out it's just a fucking rock like a meteorite or whatever and there's not even a stone of cold fire in this movie they just Talk about it, and they think they see one, but then it turns out it's, it's not now, one. Let, let, now let's to not spoil too, spoil the entire let's movie not, let's not
1: spoil too much. yeah, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> uh, and yes, uh, dear listeners, you did hear that correct. Aliens uh, we'll explain a yes. little more. <laughs> in, in the last
0: In the last film, you may recall, we crossed the genre threshold and started doing these, these mixed genre movies like Number Six, which was a Western. This one is a science fiction movie. Yes, thematically, it may as well be Star Trek, like a Star Trekian philosophy of of bold discovery beyond the stars is woven throughout this entire film about a bunch of talking dinosaurs who have barely invented bowling
2: uh <laughs> yes yes well I, I also see shades of there's shades of contact in this because the aliens kind of guide the uh dinosaurs there's a bit of um i don't know uh, like k-packs i want to say sure, yeah. uh, sure. there's <laughs> <laughs>
0: So anyway, uh, this one. Let's 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 give the listeners five seconds to guess how this movie opens. Okay. How uh, do you think (laughs) this? Where do you think this movie (laughs) opens? Um, Did you guess in space? Like all
1: the other sequels? (laughs) Yes, this one starts in space. um, With the uh, basically the Star Trek Nemesis opening. Yeah. Uh, It's beautiful. We're in this galaxy of some kind. There's these. 3D meteors and planets swirling around us (laughs) to remind uh, you that this is the first Land Before Time movie not made with traditional cell animation. Yes,
0: this one is is computer assisted throughout and it shows.
1: Uh, Yeah, in, in case you were wondering, yes. There is 3D. Those aren't those aren't real meteors flying by in the opening.
2: <laughs> the first animated movie to be done entirely in MS Paint. <laughs> That's yeah, what it looks uh, like. Yeah,
1: it uh, it beats uh, Homestuck by a few decades, at least.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, I did not know. Um, I mean, I knew just from listening to the previous podcast episodes that every movie starts in space, which seems like a weird decision. Every single one. I, I didn't question it for this movie because I knew they were aliens. I thought that seems like a natural way to open it if we're going into the sci-fi realm, but apparently that's just what they do.
0: Yeah, we start in space, and this time, instead of uh, Mr. Threehorn, it's Petrie narrating.
1: Yes, now Petrie is narrating because he's telling a story, uh, a bit of a tall tale, that the world was ruled by pterodactyls at one point.
0: Yeah, uh, he, he's he's spinning this yarn about uh, how uh, the, the rightful, God's chosen people, the, the rightful <laughs> rulers of, of the Great Valley were in fact, flyers and everybody immediately calls him on his bullshit and he gets offended.
1: This most smart, most brave, most handsome creature to ever rule world the flyers What? Uh, yeah, uh, Sarah's like, uh, no, flyers suck. Fuck you. There's no way that's true. Um, proving that she is my favorite. And Petrie's like, <laughs> no, my uh, uncle who works at Nintendo told me that's true and uh <laughs> You should totally believe me, and nobody does. And Petrie's like, "Oh, whatever, yeah, my friends suck." And then we're we're off to the races. This is the the grand start of our super interesting movie. Uh, <laughs> at this point, Littlefoot notices the Far Walkers, which I guess is just another word for dinosaurs. Because like, what what other fucking
0: thing are these? What I mean, this is what di- they just walk like. So so there's there's a group of I, I guess perpetually migratory dinosaurs who are coming through the Great Valley and staying as guests, and they are being called the Far Walkers.
1: Which, which again, is just what all dinosaurs do. Uh, these sequels just try to make it like the first movie didn't happen, because in the first movie, like they very much say that, oh, we're migrating from place to place. We don't stay in the Great Valley. Littlefoot's mother is like, I remember the Great Valley from when I was a kid. And that's supposed to imply this is kind of like a place where they go to lay eggs, and then they- you know, they keep travelling and going back and forth. But in the sequel they just live forever in the Great Valley. I think
0: the first movie is is kind of implying that the world is is dying and that the Great Valley is their last sanctuary now. And they're gonna stay there, but obviously that's not the case as we find in the sequels. The Beyond the Mysterious Beyond are plenty of fertile places. But this is the first movie to directly acknowledge events that took place in the original. That
1: is true. Then we we will will get to. We will get there uh, as Mm -hmm. well. I remember Sarah says a, a great line like, all these far walkers are gonna eat all our tree stars.
2: They know they can rest here and then go on their way. Yeah with a belly full of our tree stars.
1: Which is uh, pretty funny, uh, some anti-immigration. Oh yeah, <laughs> they,
2: <laughs> they ate just our what? tree stars. <laughs> or take our tree yeah, stars. <laughs> what the hell is a tree star because they they never show up in this movie they're only referenced I assume there's some sort of like fruit or something okay a
0: tree star is just their shorthand for a leaf it's a certain kind of of five oh god it's a five-pointed leaf that is generally prized as a delicacy or it's the main thing that they want to eat yeah
1: i i have okay. to I have to stop myself from talking about this because I just I have so much to say <laughs> but I've said it so many times in like five other of these podcasts yeah how my just my bewilderment of these fucking tree stars and so, how they work.
0: Tree stars, in <laughs> in the first movie, tree stars uh, are given this almost spiritual significance as like a symbol of life. Um, and then subsequently, they're just like Scooby snacks for dinosaurs. They just you know? love them. It's right. like it's... Right. Everybody loves to eat tree stars. I
2: did notice watching this movie the the particular way dinosaurs have of uh, naming things. Like rain is referred to as sky water and things like that.
1: Uh, And it's very inconsistent. Like some things have like a weird name and other are just what we call them. Like there's no consistency (laughs) of like what gets a stupid name and what doesn't. Yeah. Like Skywater makes no sense. I don't know why they just don't just fucking call that rain.
0: They're inconsistent too with their naming convention. Oh yeah, it's um, you know, vol- volcanoes are sometimes gurgling pits, but in this movie, it's a smoking mountain.
1: Yeah, it turns out not a lot of um, uh, script checkers, or I guess not. A, there's no there's no uh, Bible of the franchise that everyone must uh, adhere to. Which I don't understand because this is an amazing series. Why not try to do the highest quality, obviously?
0: So the inciting incident uh, of this movie is Littlefoot witnesses a meteor crash in the middle of the night. This big, brilliant blue meteor flies over the Great Valley and crash lands somewhere off beyond the mountains. And Littlefoot is the only person to notice this. And he wakes up his grandparents because he's all excited to tell them about the rock that came from space. And they're like, "Ah, whatever. The next morning, the scene I still don't understand happens where Littlefoot's grandparents summon him to what looks like a council meeting of everyone in town. And they're like, "Uh, Littlefoot, uh, word's gotten around about this uh, rock that you saw from space. And we're all very concerned. You see, dear, word has gotten around.
1: And it's made some of our guests a bit, well
0: upset and it's like did you guys spread rumors that he told you about a meteor <laughs> and now he's in trouble for like he, making the community upset what's happening tell, here? he only
1: told you what happened is you told
0: everybody
1: and we're, yeah. <laughs> they freaked
0: out. like seriously like <laughs> littlefoot like wakes up and he's like in trouble for this or something and the whole town yeah. is like worried about this meteor that's crashed even though that's happened in the great valley like 80 times
2: it just seems like the the adults are are just perpetually in council meetings. Like they have no uh, lives of their own. They they're just perpetually meeting with each other to discuss the goings on of the the valley. Oh
1: yeah, this one reminded me a lot of uh, a lot of DSA meetings that I've been to for sure. <laughs> it's just,
2: it's just, just just nothing
1: but but fucking meetings and um, progressive stack and all that stuff. What I love, about, I mean, what I love is that they say we don't want you talking about the 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 scary rock because we don't want to uh scare away the far walkers like for some reason. Yeah, like it's we, like the, we, the we guests... want them to like us. Don't like yeah. ruin this for us. We have no friends. Yeah, Littlefoot. It's,
0: it's like they're afraid they're afraid <laughs> that these migratory dinosaurs are gonna think the Great Valley is weird because Littlefoot's going on about this rock when he's not even the one going <laughs> on about it. Did it's we... like, Littlefoot, could you please just so quit being littlefoot for a day. We want our guests to think we're normal. Can you not do your regular bullshit for 1 second?
2: They really try hard to justify any reason why the far walkers are in this movie because they're really not important to anything that goes on. No,
1: I don't I don't think they
0: really do anything, period in this
2: movie. They they, they do absolutely nothing. I don't um, know
1: why they're no, in. No, yeah, the they don't
0: actually need to be in the movie. They don't even serve like a thematic purpose or anything.
1: So anyway, Littlefoot tells about this rock and um, uh, Mr. Threehorn, um, whose, whose canon name is Daddy Tops.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Mr. You cannot make
0: this up. The, the standard naysayer. I think I
2: met him in West Hollywood. <laughs> oh, you know him, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Super nice guy. Mister um, but- <laughs> Threehorn is is the the standard naysayer of the group. So he's he's just like ah, it's just an ordinary meteor. You know they happen all the time. Which and is weird that every- just uh-
1: meteors happen all mm. the time in this world? It's yeah. Just like flying, like the the world is the universe is being destroyed before their eyes, like just on a constant basis. Flying rocks, volcanoes, earthquakes,
0: earth shakes. Sorry, yeah. and um and so. He's like, ah, oh, you know, it's just a normal meteor. And Littlefoot's like, no, this one was different. This one was blue. And it's like, okay, sure, kid, you saw a blue meteor. Oh, you know, <laughs> they all they all treat it like he like he just saw Bigfoot or something.
2: Oh, that's right. The the dialogue says it's blue, but in the movie, it's clearly yellow. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it it's
1: some strange <laughs> rock from space with a color that no one's seen before and can describe. Uh, <laughs> It's the just color, of all power. The color. So at this point, the Rajneeshe show up to <laughs> <laughs> uh, ex- explain everything away. And these, this was bizarre.
0: For so me. These, these two dinosaurs <laughs> enter the picture. They're called rainbow faces. They're like some kind of ornithomimids with these weird rainbow beaks and they all of a sudden enter the scene to start just like arrogantly naysaying all the skeptics in town. They're like, well, how do you know he didn't see a special meteor? Have you really seen all there is to see? Are there no mysteries left for you? <gasps>
1: yeah, they, like, Have you ever
0: considered <laughs> that maybe there's something beyond the Great Valley? And then they go into the Monty Python Galaxy song. Beyond- You are a
2: part of the creation of all
0: that lies beyond
1: uh yeah, they try to own the other dinosaurs with facts and logic in order to get them on their side, and they really do sound like a cult, like they're like, have you seen beyond do you trust yeah. what your <laughs> eyes can see?
2: What if the little long neck did see something
1: extraordinary? miraculous? Like can you can you smell space or whatever the fuck they say and like this is crazy and like and they sing this horrible song
2: that <laughs> just like my yeah. brain
1: is trying to eject as I'm listening to it. That was
2: my other big revelation watching this was like oh they're musicals now oh my yes, god yes there, they there are all songs musicals
1: and uh, we'll get to it later but I think this one has maybe. I think has definitely the worst songs of all the movies that we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not good at no, all. I, I think some of the other song, some of the other movies have songs that are bangers for sure. That fucking slap, and I won't hear otherwise. But this one has really <laughs> bad songs.
0: Yeah, these are particularly <laughs> bad, even for this franchise, even by the standards of like movie three.
1: Movie three is kind of like our go-to for the worst one we've seen so far.
0: But these uh, <laughs> these these wow, rainbow faces, nice. nothing's past that one yet. These rainbow faces who are heavily, heavily telegraphing that they are some sort of higher race of aliens the entire time they're on screen. But yes. obviously,
1: at this point, you wouldn't think so because this is land before time. Yeah. And why, <laughs> in God's sane world, would aliens show up? You just at this point, you just think they're assholes, really. Like they're just <laughs> fucking.
2: Dicks. I love, I love how they never give a straight answer whenever anyone asks them like where where they come from or who they are or whatever. They're like, Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, they're basically
0: basically like, the the whole plot of this movie appears to be that they are like testing the dinosaurs' scientific curiosity. You know, they they are constantly encouraging the dinosaurs to go out and discover things and like find the answers to these big mysteries and to be curious. And they can't tell them anything because I guess the prime directive or something, they're constantly like, oh, I can't tell you, that would be telling. You've got to find out for yourself yourself but it's like these are dinosaurs these are not people (laughs) they they haven't they haven't gotten to the stone age yet like the, the the furthest advance that they've got is They've apparently invented bowling in this movie, as we will see. I, I,
1: honestly, like, looking back, I think these these aliens are trying to prank the other dinosaurs because like they're the ones that come up with the idea of the stone of cold fire. They're the ones that make that up.
0: Yeah, so they, they, they show up to this meeting and they're like, Well, that meteor could be A Stone of Cold Fire. And they proceed to spin this yarn about a a mystical rock from outer space that will give you superpowers if you touch it. Like it's some kind of monolith from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Some say that these stones can shine light without heat.
1: Some believe they can give powers
0: far beyond our comprehension. Heal the sick
1: and other miracles.
0: And like, they're just making this up. Yeah, this isn't
1: like a dinosaur (laughs) legend that the other dinosaurs Dinosaurs, no. It's just, they just totally made it up. Like, they're just like, oh, dude, we're going to tell these fucking idiot dinosaurs this crazy shit. This is just alien prank show. This is alien jackass. It's
0: It's like if Vulcans came to Earth, like, the first time an antelope wanders into your valley, and they're like... You should go investigate that antelope. It could be a unicorn. Have I ever told you about a unicorn before? <laughs> and it's like, I don't think this is the way to test their scientific curiosity.
1: And again, they're they're they are just assholes. They are the fuck I just everything they say, I just want to slap them in the face. I just hate these dinosaurs so much.
2: I think the aliens are probably testing uh how gullible the dinosaurs are, and if they pass, that means they're ready to be converted to their alien religion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause like it's like when a when a planet discovers um Space travel. What is it? Yeah, Warp Drive. <laughs> warp Drive. Yeah, that's when. When,
0: it, when the p- culture discovers Warp Drive, they could join the cosmic <laughs> community. But apparently when dinosaurs invent bowling, they, they can join the alien dinosaur community. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, you know, go find a species that's invented writing, at least, to do yeah. this with. Don't waste your time on these dinosaurs who use
2: words like skywater. Sorry, I just want to note real quick, in this song, they rhyme scariest with rarest. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention that. Yes.
1: Out where the darkness is the scariest.
0: Out where the wonders are the rarest. Uh, Some advanced species. Uh (laughs) It's it's like like in The Simpsons where the aliens are all proud of having invented Pong. And then (laughs) Bart's like, that's just Pong. And the aliens are like, look, we we invented interstellar travel. We didn't have time to perfect your video games.
1: (laughs) Oh my God! So anyway, this whole happens. Um, I guess the dinosaurs have just joined a religion at this point legally, and we get a, we get a our first glimpse at um, Uncle Tyranno, who is Petrie's mysterious uncle.
0: Yes. So Uncle Tyranno enters the scene. He is the main antagonist of the film. He is uh, the uncle that Petrie talked about who told him this story that that flyers used to rule the skies. And Uncle Toronto uh, was kicked out of the herd years ago for an offense that we find out about uh, a little later. Uh, and he's basically a uh, a charlatan and a smooth talker. And he clearly is up to something. And he is voiced by Michael York. Who is absolutely chewing the recording booth uh, in the role?
1: This guy is is really cool, and uh, Mark uh, it Mark's an important um, point in the series where we finally have an uncle pedophile character. It's taken seven movies, and we finally have <laughs> this uh, pterodactyl that just gets way too close to his kid, to these kids, especially his
0: nephew. Just getting, like,
1: right right there in his face, and it's not comfortable for
0: anyone. Yeah, and even in the subsequent scene when Grandpa <laughs> finds out that they've been hanging out with him, he's like, oh, you, you, you can't hang out with him. Why not? We'll tell you when you're older. Someday, when you're older... I'll
2: tell you about it. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was going to ask you guys, is Uncle Toronto in any previous movies? No. This is, everyone's this, acting no. like he's this recurring villain that they all know and they all know he's bad news already. No, this is
1: the first time we've seen or heard this character before.
2: Okay, cool. Because I felt for a second watching it, I was like, oh, crap. Did I Should I have seen... Some previous film to to learn the origins of Uncle. No, Toronto. that that is
1: not true of any of these films. Even if they do have a character that we've seen before in a sequel, like the, it's never true. It's just, never okay. have to worry Good. about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ch- Chomper coming back in the fifth one is the closest thing we get to uh, canon.
1: <laughs> so anyway, Uncle Toronto is the bad guy, be- um, which you know because he's queer-coded. And um, he has these two <laughs> sidekick uh, pterodactyls that are just like, I guess, less well-drawn than he is. That's why they're the sidekicks, Yeah, I guess.
0: He-, he has these two like Ramphorhynchus <laughs> henchmen, uh, one of which is Rob Paulson doing the pinky voice again, and the other is Jim Cummings doing like... Like his villain voice, and uh, these these two uh, are basically just his his little minions, and they're they're doing his bidding. And uh, evidently, he has come to believe in these rumors of the Stone of Cold Fire that the alien dinosaurs are spreading. Uh, he believes that if he acquires the Stone of Cold Fire, he it will somehow legitimize him as the ruler of the Great Valley, which he believes is his birthright somehow.
1: And he also believes that that's a thing that the great valley has a ruler of some kind yeah when i as far as i know they do not because they're just in constant meetings all day
0: all of this is supported by absolutely nothing like these rainbow faces just made up the
2: idea of a stone of cold fire because
0: they're assholes (laughs) they are dick aliens
1: they're the fucking Ashton Kutcher's of aliens.
2: That's a pretty thin premise that Uncle Toronto has for wanting to go after the Stone of Cold Fire. <laughs> like, I kept waiting for, like, you know, the call to adventure in this film. Like, you know, what is going to really set the plot in motion? And it's just, like, some vague rumor that everyone believes? <laughs> like, okay. By, like,
1: two of, like, the sketchiest dinosaurs and, in and the
2: like,
0: entire Great Valley. <laughs> Uncle Toronto does all of this villainous stuff that imperils the lives of the children because because of this rumor that they spread, it makes you wonder how much other like damage these two dinosaurs have done throughout history. Like what if they disguised themselves <laughs> as humans and they showed up on Earth one day and they were like, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Einstein, what if the Germans are working on an atomic bomb? You should probably figure that out before they do." <laughs> like, what what have they what have they wrought? I, no, I imagine like
1: um <laughs> these these guys are at the bottom of um of, of a ground zero and they just whisper to a guy next to him like, "You know, uh, uh Steel beams can't be melted by jet fuel. Did you ever think about that? (laughs) And then just, like, walk away. And... (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> My interpretation was that it establishes Littlefoot and all his friends as uh, they are the origins of Antifa. Yes. Because they're standing up against Uncle Toronto. Yeah, yes. Uncle
0: Uncle Toronto is very much a bad guy whose, whose idea is to teach kids about lying leaders. You know, <laughs> strongmen, politicians, leader figures, people who get up there and lie to others in order to be put into positions of power.
1: And that, That's a good point, Brian, because he is the first villain in this franchise so far that wants to rule something all the other bad guys have been like sharp teeth or just other dinosaurs that want to eat them but this is like the first time right? Like the bad guy was just like a, a plant eater that's like i'm going to rule the world well or a whatever. Fish eater
0: but whatever yeah, the, he, he he's the first villain we've had who has greater ambitions than eating eggs 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 eggs, eggs. eggs.
1: So they'll run away because Uncle Toronto's scary. And there's this great moment where Littlefoot just jumps into the water, and his grandparents
0: go, "Littlefoot, what's
1: wrong?" And he says the line, "I suddenly felt kind of dirty," which is just, <laughs> just amazing. Yeah, uh, just being abs- around
0: Uncle Toronto made him feel just, dirty. He just felt gross.
1: And he w- was telling them that he meant, uh, met Uncle Toronto and Littlefoot's like, oh, you know, like I know you're not supposed to just hate somebody you don't know, but ah, there's just something about him that I don't like. And Grandpa is like, well, that's because you have good instincts. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Littlefoot, you have good instincts and you should pay attention to them. <laughs> it's like, yes, trust <laughs> trust your will to hate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so they're obviously freaked out. At this point, we know Uncle Toronto Has uh, done something wrong. Um, Next scene we have. We see Uncle Toronto telling uh, Petrie and his uh, clone siblings um, stories about whatever the, the fuck he has done. Uh, Uncle Toronto wants Petrie to find out more about the Stone of Coldfire, where it landed, etc.
0: And even though every other character is incredibly suspicious of Uncle Toronto, Petrie, of course, is just fawning over him. Petrie okay. thinks he's the coolest guy ever. He wants to be like him, and he'll do anything for him.
1: Which is a pretty classic cartoon trope. We- we've seen that in, like a lot of Saturday morning cartoons.
2: Yeah. Well, they have a very like. Trump and Don Jr. sort of relationship.
1: Yeah, oh, I see it. Yeah. I definitely see that, yeah. yeah.
0: There's a, there's definitely a Trumpy aspect to um, Uncle Toronto.
1: Anyway, this is where dinosaurs invent bowling. This is that scene.
0: Yes, yes, the, uh, they, they set up pine cones and they roll a rock into them and they even have a, a point scoring system. So this is by far the most advanced invention uh, that we've seen so far <laughs> in the Land Before Time films. Spas were invented in one of the TV show episodes. That's
1: Yeah, you can't make that up. They did invent spas. They did invent spas. <laughs> but
0: uh, yeah, this is, wow. this is the first instance of they understand the concept of game uh, mechanics and, and victory conditions. Thank God, because I thought these dinosaurs <laughs> were just bored out of their minds all the time. Well, that's why they invented bowling. That's, that's why Fred Flintstone is, is so good at bowling. It's one of the earliest games ever invented.
1: So at this point, Petrie's like, hey, uh, you know what's better than bowling? Uh, talking about that, that meteor that you saw, Littlefoot. And speaking of rock, say, how about that stone of cold fire, huh?
0: Littlefoot's like Petrie. That's a weird ass question. And Sarah sees through his shit instantly. Because
1: she's yeah, because she's the because yeah, yeah. she's, she's the most suspicious one. Her father um, is one of the um, architects of QAnon. Uh- <laughs> So, obviously, she would, you know, just see right through it. There's a funny part here where, like, Petrie runs off because everyone, like, calls him out. He's like, you're all just a bunch of stink bugs and just, like, goes crying. Mm. And his uncle just appears out of nowhere, just, like, jumps out from screen, like, hey,
0: Petrie! Yeah, (laughs) Petrie is very sad because uh, his friends all, you know, tell him that he shouldn't trust his uncle and that he's a bad person. And this makes Petrie cry and Petrie flies away and he's landing on a branch crying. And then like out of a dark void of, of, Of inky blackness just materializes (laughs) through the magic of animation, Uncle Toronto, like a ghost melting out of the leaves. And he's like, there, there, Petrie, tell me what's wrong.
1: This is where we find out about Uncle Toronto's goal, which is to take the rock, like we said, and rule the Great Valley. He thinks of himself as just. He says lines like, my quest is noble. I do this for morals. Ducky unfortunately overhears this and gets captured and so their new plan is just to take a hostage with them so nobody tries to stop them from uh, getting this rock, which works pretty well. I have to say this is a good idea because it, it totally works. And they just, they get away. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, guess, I guess
0: Petrie has somehow relayed enough information uh, just by saying, oh, Littlefoot said it went over the mountains, that Uncle Toronto knows where to fly to get the Stone of Cold Fire. You'd think he could have just, you know, flown around and seen it from the air previously because he's a pterosaur but they kidnap Ducky and they set off uh, for the place where it landed which is on Three Horn Peak a big volcano
2: shaped like a three horn
0: because Lord knows we don't have enough rock formation shaped like dinosaurs
2: as landmarks in or, the Vol- or volcanoes I don't know like how many minutes into the film this is but seeing as how the film is only like what 75 minutes total that, like yeah. it takes them it takes them way too long to actually like set out on the journey to go after the stone of cold fire like I was really expecting that like in the first I don't know 15-20 minutes oh yeah it it feels like it's (laughs) The movie is like half over already. By the time they set out to find, well, it. These, these, movies these films are... are all about the art of filler.
1: Yeah, the, these are. Yeah, this is. Yes. these are the beauty of padding. It's what I like to call these movies. Just amazing what they will do to stall a scene. Here we find out the origin story of Uncle Toronto. We find out why the rest of the herd hates him. They do a flashback to the first movie.
0: Yes. Uh, so apparently, in this retconned vision of the first movie, when the adults were separated from the children in the big earth shake they all were migrating toward the great valley and this contradicts the first movie and okay, we'll get to I, I why would... in a moment
1: okay yeah i'm, I'm very mad about this contradiction <laughs> but before but... we get
0: to okay, that we... just what happens is uh uncle toronto has a disagreement with the rest of the herd about where to go they're all democratically voting on you know the route that they're going to take uncle toronto disagrees and he takes, like, a faction of his own supporters off in a different direction and gets them all killed. He basically leads them into a trap by mistake and a bunch of sharp teeth eat them. And we have the most hardcore scene in any of these Land Before Time movies where we see dinosaurs just straight-up dying. Like, we see this Parasaurolophus just fall off a cliff and presumably die from sharp teeth, like, chasing, chasing her off a cliff and, like... It's it's just this really gnarly scene where they all get killed implicitly, and uh, Uncle Toronto goes back to the group and is and is shamed. Maddie, I'll let you get into why why well, this let, is an engaing scene. Well, let,
1: let's talk about this moment because this is is a really interesting moment. Um, when I was a kid, I was really affected by this. This was um, this was the last Land Before Time movie I watched as a kid. And I remember seeing this scene and being like really affected, like, oh, this is like really sad. Like this Uncle Toronto has like a sad backstory.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty hardcore for these movies. Uh, just the amount of death uh, on his shoulders.
2: Yeah it 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 was by far the most I guess dramatic scene of of the whole film where yeah you see actual dinosaurs uh, dying. But then I, I remember when uh, when they kind of come out of the flashback, the I I think it's um, Littlefoot's grandfather just says, "And we never saw them again." Like. He's trying to lead them to believe, like, oh, they're all just living on a farm somewhere. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he he tells he tells the
1: story, but like, and we see all this death. But I guess like he just didn't tell them that part or didn't know that part. Flashbacks are weird.
0: But yeah. but the thing about the scene is, if our viewers remember the first movie, Maddie, what is the first? Okay, movie so all I was about?
1: I was immediately very pissed off about this scene because the first movie. The main One of the main conflicts is this idea that the herds do not travel together. Uh, there's a line where uh, Sarah's dad, Mr. Threehorn, says, Threehorns don't play with longnecks. And Littlefoot's mother says, oh, you know, longnecks only travel with longnecks. That's just how it's always been. And what, That's like the main that, that's conflict the main of the thing. first movie. And what's really cool about that is why Littlefoot and his, the friends he meets in that first movie are so important because they are basically the first multi-dinosaur herd because they're all different species of dinosaurs kind of working together and, like, making um, making uh, it work. And this film is completely just dismisses that. Uh no, we were always a herd. We were always kind of traveling together. It's totally fine.
0: Yeah, the adults were always just a multi-species herd making nice democratic decisions <laughs> together. Like, that whole... The entire, like, racism angle of the first movie just evaporates into mist.
1: Also, at the end of the story, uh, Petrie has a great line where he says... uh... Well, you know, it's not Uncle Tyranno's fault that the rest of the dinosaurs didn't fly away. It's not his fault others not know how to fly away. <laughs> <laughs> which is fucking yeah. which is fucking baller.
0: Uh, Petrie seems to hold this belief that, that uh, the ability to fly is learned uh, rather than innate.
2: I mean, to be fair, that is kind of the way a, a child would understand it, I guess.
1: That is true. It's just very funny because Petrie's stupid. I yeah. mean, they're all, they're all fucking animals. <laughs> it's, it's, they're dumb. The dinosaur source have a meeting and Littlefoot's upset that the bureaucratic process is taking too long and decides to take matters into his own hands again and just um goes off
2: <laughs> they go rogue they go rogue which
1: again as they, as
0: they do in every movie yeah
1: I mean they're basically like rugrats where they just like keep getting out of the the cage and the parents are always surprised every single time it happens like that's every movie yeah. it's just like Littlefoot and his friends just go off to the, to the mysterious beyond and almost die at this point we get a little bit more clues into uh where our rainbow face friends come from they say something like <laughs> uh should we help them and then the other one's like no we can't uh negate the Prime Directive. Think we should help them out?
0: You know that isn't allowed.
1: We yeah, they don't. Supposed... They don't say the prime directive
0: directly, but that's basically it. They're
2: like, no, we're not allowed to intervene. Do you think the aliens, but by, by some astronomical chance, actually look like dinosaurs, or are they taking the form of? I think they're taking the. I think they're taking the form, of, of, taking dinosaurs. The form of dinosaurs. That's yeah. my guess.
0: They they seem like a yeah. very
2: advanced species.
0: Like at the end of the film, they leave without getting onto a spaceship. They just kind of like beam up into the heavens, right. like dolphins in Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, th- I think they're they're non-corporeal. I think they're capable of of taking any form. They're like Star Trek energy beings. Oh yeah, they're, they're the yeah. They're I- the
1: creatures from uh, close encounters.
0: Oh, they had a spaceship.
1: I no, mean, they're they're like gaseous kind of. They're like weird little light creators weren't they the, no they you're are? misremembering that okay, movie whatever. pretty hard <laughs> fuck whatever that's you know that movie sucks all right don't watch it
2: <laughs> i think that the rainbow faces like tried to copy the form of dinosaurs but got it a little wrong like they didn't know that dinosaurs have monocolored faces which is why people call them rainbow faces so they must be like oh fuck we fucked up
1: yeah they, they, yeah, they don't see color the same way that we do, so they just mess it up.
0: The, yeah, the rainbow faces. One thing that, that I'll notice that I'll briefly complain about as a paleo nerd in this movie is as these movies advance, the depiction of new dinosaur characters and background dinosaurs is getting closer and closer to like modern realistic paleo art, which basically means that every new character is going to increasingly contradict the design aesthetic of the original characters. To like you know Ducky's mom is supposed to be a, a Parasaurolophus and she looks nothing like a Parasaurolophus but her design has defined that species for this whole franchise but in this movie there's literally a shot where there's Ducky's mom and then in the background there's a different Parasaurolophus that looks like a modern rendering of one that looks like completely like different and more realistic, and it it doesn't make any sense. But the rainbow faces kind of fit into that. Like they feel like somebody was trying to design a more realistic dinosaur, and it just kind of clashes with the others.
1: Yeah, they're all just different kinds of dinosaurs. Everyone is different. So the rest of this movie is boring. So let's try and get through it. Uh, so, there's a there is a, fun, a couple of funny scenes that I want to point out. Yeah. There's a moment where one of the um, the the pterodactyl henchmen complains about Ducky's voice, which is which is a fun meta moment.
0: I've been putting up with that whiny little voice since we took off. No, no, no. Yep, yep, yep. It's driving me nuts, nuts, nuts.
1: Yes. Or he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. And yep, yep, yep. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill her, which is funny. And then there's a, an even more meta moment where Sarah, uh, right before they're going to cross a, a gap with Vines goes, hey, wait a minute, don't you know that in every time we go out, we have to cross over a vine, or we have to, like, use a, a rock or a log? Every time we sneak off and leave the Great Valley, we end up having to crawl across some giant ditch or pointy rocks or something. Yeah. And somehow, the only way to do it is if we use some big tipping boulder or rotten old log.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I always end up at the back of the line, falling off or getting chased by a shark tooth. She do have a point. Which is a joke that we have made <laughs> every in every single, single episode yeah. of these podcasts. Yeah. We <laughs> Sarah were blown
0: is, away. Like Sarah is s- is suddenly like looking straight through the fourth wall. Like you know, every single time we go out, we have to cross a terrifying chasm, and it's like very self-aware.
1: Like I'm not even kidding. Like I think in every podcast we have mentioned that the only way they solve problems in this series is with rocks, is by dropping boulders on <laughs> other dinosaurs. And fucking Sarah must have listened to our podcast. I- so I, I know. She's like, oh my God. Anyway, none of this matters, obviously, because they still cross the fucking cliff. So it doesn't really help. Uh, and the, and the, what probably, and this is where one of my favorite moments in this entire franchise happens, where they're crossing a thing, and all of a sudden, Spike sees a flower on the vine. So, and so just yeah, starts they're, they're eating they're, they're, it. They're like cross-
0: the j- just to clarify, you didn't. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting too excited. They're crossing not on a log, they're crossing on a vine. It's a, it's a live, thick, jungle vine. And so walking on it is really like perilous and unsteady cause it's like trying to cross a rope bridge or something. And this vine has a flower growing out of it. And so predictably, Spike, who's the last in line, when he sees this flower, he just bites right into their only lifeline. He bites right into the vine they're crossing, and causes it to to come crashing. Oh, like, down. like yeah,
1: he chooses food over his own life. Like you can see <laughs> the vine just just snapping with each one of his bites, and he just keeps going. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's, it's, it's actually it's a legitimately so, funny it's moment. It's
1: so insane. Like, just what is Spike thinking as he's eating? It's like, oh, I guess I'm going to die. Oh, well, <laughs> whatever. At least I yeah. got to eat this flower. It's I was the, the writers was, are getting
0: self-aware. At this I point, was laughing.
1: I so, oh, yeah, they definitely are. The, the writers know that what they're making is bullshit. So they, they just <laughs> lost um, any any ounce of the, of anything so at this point they find Ducky who managed to escape from the other dinosaurs here we have a song that if you ask me now I could not sing it for you I, I, it's already gone from my mind
2: <laughs> after that first song anytime they started singing again I just wrote in my notes oh god they're singing again uh,
1: and what, what's <laughs> really like have. if you had told me at the beginning that that first song was going to be the best song of the three I would have called you crazy but I guess it oh, was god. because this second song
0: is horrible
1: everybody has a lot of good inside them and everybody has a little bad
0: so this song is about uh the the film's moral philosophy which is that nobody is really evil anyone who is bad is just misguided somehow and therefore they should they should cut the big bad pteranodon a little slack because he he's he's not sinister at heart he just uh He's just got some messed up ideas is all. And he really means well.
2: Because Toronto like tried to save Ducky when she was falling or or something like that. Like Ducky gets a little glimpse of that... That Toronto like has some humanity in him,
0: or din din dinah, or di- t- tyranny, tyranny. <laughs>
1: yeah, t- Tur- <laughs> sure. he is a he is a tyrant. That's the point of the, the the movie. Um, yes, yeah. The moral of the song, as Chris said, is that dinosaurs are like onions; they have layers. Ducky gets captured again. Which is like, what the fuck was the point of any of this shit? <laughs> because yeah. he's just captured like two seconds later and we just keep going. There's a um a, a Rapids thing that's not interesting, so we're not going to talk about it.
2: Real quick, I wanted to point out, it's a little, I guess, ironic that Toronto wants to be the leader of the entire Great Valley. But he can't even like keep his two little cronies in line. No, yeah, he's a horrible you know?
1: leader. I mean, again, like he led a bunch of dinosaurs to their deaths. He's not good at his job. Yeah. And he's just fucking, and again, he's fucking creepy. He's a very, very strange dinosaur. I will say one thing about the rapid scene, as boring as it is, there is a moment where they point to these vines and one of them says, I have an idea, and then in the next scene, the vines are just tied to a log with no explanation how fucking dinosaurs did that. We just have to
0: accept that they they were just able to do that. It's just like cut to the the vines are tied to the log.
1: You, there's a weird, you pointed this out, there's an animation error with these pterodactyls.
0: Okay, so the, the main three villains, whenever they are on the ground, their wings, like the membrane part of their wings, is perfectly solid colored. It's opaque. But the instant they take off, and in every single uh, shot in which they are flying, for some reason, the membrane of their wings is translucent. You can see through it. And I don't know... I that. If it's a bizarre stylistic choice, or if it just, like, made animating easier, if they could, like, see dinosaurs bodies through their wings or something i don't know whose idea it was i don't know why it's in there i don't know if it's like just a bad artistic choice or if it's like a cheap thing but for some reason this happens like in mid shot their wing will go from being opaque opaque to being translucent
1: it 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 does lead to like (laughs) these like you said these weird situations where like they'll be flying but like the exact frame they land on the ground the wings just turn regular solid yeah. Like once you notice it, you can't unsee it. It's it's very strange. At this point, the rest of the dinosaurs have figured out that the kids have gone. The uh, council blames Mr. Threehorn, because it is always his fault. That's 100% true. <laughs> we go to the pterodactyls who get their own song, and this is probably the worst song in the
2: movie. I'm a very important creature, tremendously brave and strong. I find that I am frequently right when others are often wrong
0: it's the villains song it's it's Uncle Toronto sings his own be prepared style song about how cool he is it's basically his his ego song where he sings about how much smarter and better and, and awesomer uh, everybody else uh, should think he is
1: I guess like they're showing that the pterodactyls uh, the other his goon pterodactyls are gonna like are gonna kill him or something <laughs> they're going to betray him once they get the stone and take it for themselves.
0: Yeah, there's there's rising tension between Uncle Toronto and his goons again.
1: Like who could fucking care?
0: And and it's weird <laughs> because
2: oh, if if only anything that interesting happens. Yeah. if...
0: <laughs> If only this, this movie had conflict. And it's weird because this whole movie is suggesting that Uncle Toronto is not bad at his core. You know, there's literally a song about it. They're constantly showing right. that he's, he's having second thoughts or he's feeling a little guilty. And, you know, eventually he does kind of renounce his evil ways and so it's this big message about how oh nobody's evil at heart, uh, except his two goons, who are just evil at heart. Yeah, who are just like like yeah. <laughs> the villains usually are in this series. Yeah, and, and are just like, never afforded the slightest hint of of, uh, of inner goodness or, or mercy. They're just like pure evil. And Uncle Toronto often demonstrates his inner goodness by like holding back them, and they're like pure evil, so the whole message is just diluted.
1: This point the gang meet up again with the rainbow faces who I had forgotten were in this movie (laughs) at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they show up, they break the Prime Directive, and I guess at that point they're like, well, fuck it, we'll just help you from, we've already screwed up, we're, all, we're already gonna get written up by Star Command, so we're gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. to, uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, one to- Yeah, one of them breaks the Prime Directive by giving them food to eat when they're hungry, giving them a bunch of Tree Stars, and then they decide, okay, we'll just help you get to the Stone of Cold Fire and rescue your friends.
2: This part kind of confused me because, like I said, I didn't know what Tree Stars were, and they here they were Refer to the leaves as green food,
0: which is true. A good, good observation, Brian. Tree stars are a subcategory of green food. It's, it's kind of like all fruit is fruit, but apples are a type of fruit. Tree stars are a type of green sure. food. Sure, and it's the best one. It's the, pr- <laughs> it's the prime rib. We're, we're experts yeah. on this topic at this point.
1: I think so much about these fucking tree stars. It's invaded my life. The rainbow faces help them and decide to teach the, the dinosaurs. A science facts for whatever reason like like we've entered the strangest Bill Nye the science guy episode I've ever seen Or they're just like making Littlefoot like answer these questions hmm do you smell that ooh you wonder if if hot air pressure goes up hard enough it'll make this happen yeah they're they're in the
0: they're inside of a volcano and the the kids are trying to get to the top of the volcano which is where the stone of cold fire is and so the, the the dinosaurs are like hmm well do you see anything no no, I don't see anything ah but what about seeing with your nose I don't see anything maybe your eyes are getting huh? in the way and he's like oh that's <laughs> right I smell rotten eggs <laughs> you can't see with your nose you fucking idiot and then he's like ah you see there's there you've discovered it there's hot boiling water under here and it's like a giant geyser and if you cartoonishly put this big rock platform on top of the geyser it'll shoot you up to the top with steam and so that happens. And the whole time they're just straight up telling these dinosaurs how to invent this this like rocket-powered geyser elevator. They're refusing to tell them certain things, like they're refusing to tell them anything about themselves or where they come from. But I'm just like, what are these dinosaurs possibly going to do with the knowledge that you're from outer space? Like if you just say, "Oh yeah, we're a more advanced culture from a planet beyond the moon." What is gonna change about these dinosaurs' lives? Yeah, they believe you know? they believe in magic sky rocks. <laughs> I don't like, think I they're think anywhere. Those, I, d- I don't think they're anywhere near Apollo Eleven here. I don't think you're gonna affect <laughs> the course of their species. They're not gonna turn into the, the the cricket men from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and and go out into the universe trying to destroy everything out of paranoia. They've just invented bowling, for God's sake. Oh my God,
1: that would be so amazing if the dinosaurs like after learning that. Just like build a NASA like structure and start <laughs> building rockets. We got a scene of like Sarah with like a, in a space suit.
0: <laughs> I would, have
1: to go. I would give. I would pay. I would give all of my money to make that movie happen. <laughs> I would give every ounce of my life to make that happen. The dinosaurs eventually get to the surface and they find the stone of cold fire. And Uncle Toronto touches it, and holy shit, wouldn't you know it? Magic isn't real. Nothing happens.
2: Yeah, he goes through this whole ritual. Like, he, like, prays to the stone to, like, bestow the power onto him or whatever. He does, like, this whole ritual thing. It's like
0: Belloc opening the ark
2: Hear me, O stone of cold fire. Yeah. uh,
1: Yeah, he read the Necronomicon wrong and uh, it didn't work out for him. The two goons try to like uh, break it up so they could like take some of it. Yeah,
0: they they immediately turn on him. They're like, you're an idiot and therefore it's ours now. And then they do the same exact thing as him, just trying to like smash it open this time. Yeah, what's
1: your fucking plan, uh, guys? They. (laughs) (laughs) The volcano erupts. Who would have thought a volcano erupts in a Land Before Time movie? They get saved. At the last minute by uh, Petrie's mom. <laughs> oh, this is so great. And, and this this big pterodactyl that I've never seen before. Okay, so earlier
0: uh, yeah, when the parents were having their counsel of, oh my God, we're idiots. Our kids ran away to save the day like they <laughs> do every single time. We should have realized this. <laughs> their plan of rescue is to tell Petrie's mother to go find another flyer to go help her rescue the kids. So then she shows up with this other flyer who is a Quetzalcoatlus, this giant, huge Quetzalcoatlus, and he lands, Mm -hmm. and Sarah's like, wow, that is one big flyer, and my favorite moment in any Land Before Time movie happens, (laughs) where this big, giant, majestic uh, pterosaur leans his head down and opens his mouth, and his line is, die.
1: Whoa, that is one
0: big flyer. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He doesn't say anything. We don't even learn his name. Like, why? Why is he there? He's
1: just a big dumb himbo dinosaur. Like, he's gonna say a big (laughs) line,
0: and he's just like. i like to fly christ Christ i will name him george and i will love him and hug him and squeeze him what a
1: beautiful movie
0: we so uh, then the bad guys while the good guys are flying away the bad guys uh i guess finally succeed in in hitting this this meteor hard enough to break it up and it explodes like they just hit like an old block of dynamite it just like literally explodes well, like i them, think like the, the
1: i think the volcano erupts at the, the moment the uh the stone or, or something like that i don't know if the stone itself exploded yeah, it, it sure
2: looks like the stone explodes it, <laughs> who fucking it causes the earth shake as they call yes, it yes the
1: earth shake uncle toronto uh saves ducky because he gets like a little flashback to the last time he didn't save a dinosaur and this is enough to um get the dinosaurs to uh not kill him immediately when he comes back into yeah. the great valley instead sh- deciding to uh give give a pro prison an analysis
0: yeah so they're, they they they've <laughs> gathered around the great valley when everyone's safe and they've got uncle toronto in the middle of the crowd there and grandpa's like because you saved ducky your sentence has been reduced to five years exile and i'm like Reduced from what? (laughs) What were you guys going to do?
2: (laughs) Well, again, they call it until five cold times have passed. They don't have the word winter for whatever reason. So yeah, they, have,
0: they don't have the word year. They have the word cold time. Yeah. <laughs> five five cold
1: times. The worst times. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Threehorn has yeah, has like a line like um well some of us wanted a worse punishment. Like, yeah, we know you wanted to Risk. eat him. <laughs> you know, we don't, he just wanted to bite his
0: head off. We get it. And then there's a moment where somebody's like, But he'll have no friends. That's not fair, you know? He's all alone out there. Uh, he, he doesn't deserve that, does he? And somebody else is like, Yes, he does and everybody's just like yes it's yeah. fine. he deserves it that was
1: that yeah that was part of the the judge's sentence was you are not allowed to have friends for five years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's another weird moment where mr Threehorn, again everyone's favorite character like starts to like talk to him like he's a dog he's like hey come on yep get out of here you come on sco- shoo, sco- shoo. Sco-
2: get out of here get out of here flyer yeah. just
1: like totally de- dehumanizing him which is pretty great. De-flyerizing him.
2: Doesn't Toronto also speak to his cronies that way at one point when he's trying to get rid of them? Or am I misremembering?
1: Oh, may oh, you know what? Maybe. Let's say that happens because I want to give this, I want to pretend like this movie did something. Well, smart. He-, he
2: is very
0: violent and dismissive toward his cronies. That is very like- true. Like every cartoon bad guy.
1: Let's say it's dramatic irony. Uh, Petrie says one of the stupidest things <laughs> I've ever heard. He says in his voice, What we need with magic when we have each other. What we need with magic. When we got each other. Which is fucking moronic. You can have magic and friends, Petrie. You can have both. Uh. This this is America. <laughs> <laughs> so this happens. The he gets exiled. The far walkers go away, and uh, little foot decides to say goodbye to the rainbow faces, who
0: reveal that,
1: as we've been saying, are fucking aliens the whole time. They were
0: yeah. fucking aliens. So another another meteor flies overhead. And Littlefoot's, like, talking to the rainbow faces alone one night on a hilltop, uh, you know, on his cornfield in Kansas. Uh, And he's like, so there never was a stone of cold fire. You just made that up. And they're like, what's important is that you went searching for answers. You see, the stone never really mattered. It's what you did to discover the truth about it. That is what's important. Because what they were interested in was causing these dinosaurs to have a scientific renaissance. They sing a little reprise of their song about how there's so much to learn and discover in the universe. And then they're like, what's that over there? And Littlefoot turns around and then they get beamed up into space.
1: But it doesn't work because he still turns around and sees them getting (laughs) beamed up into space. At this point, Littlefoot has lost his mind yeah. you have to understand that he's just crazy <laughs> for the rest of his life yeah he's, just, Foot... he's just completely just his mind is
0: destroyed <laughs> littlefoot is the only dinosaur who knows that aliens exist and no one will ever believe him
1: the next time you see littlefoot he's like writing letters of correspondence to his to his friend <laughs> in another state at saying, arkham university at, arkham, <laughs> at dino arkham university the about... <laughs> dino institute <laughs> Listen how crazy he has
2: got him. I couldn't believe the dinosaurs just pulled the uh, "Hey, look over there" <laughs> trick. Like, well, well they, I know, are stu- they, I know they are stupid. They are dealing with for kids. <laughs> but come
1: on, they are dealing with stealing with stupid animals, though. So I, I can see why they would think that would work because they're fucking dinosaurs. They got like fucking pea brains.
0: So uh, I do want to say that even though these alien dinosaurs are the most irresponsible higher beings imaginable causing all of this wanton destruction by meddling in this in this prehistoric landscape i do appreciate that this film begins with a song about being open minded to the possibilities but then ends with more of a scientific conclusion rather than like a just have faith Santa Claus movie type of conclusion. In the end, the stone of cold fire isn't real magic. It's just like what was important was the dinosaurs using the scientific method, you know, trying to discover it and, and ask, asking these questions. I, I appreciate that it wasn't just, a, well, if you believe hard enough, anything is possible because I hate that so much. Like I said, it was, it was very poorly pulled off but i do appreciate that this this movie is a is a pro science movie
2: yeah i mean they do the classic uh the real magic is the friends we made along the way thing. (laughs) Uh, except they were already friends at the beginning and they're friends at the end so nothing was lost or gained
1: i am happy they explained that science angle like you said Chris because at the beginning of this film they're like oh do you really trust what your eyes can see and then they have somebody like Mr. Threehorn saying I only believe the things that I can see with my own two eyes just like Look, I get what you're trying to say, but like these rainbow faces are like saying insane things, you know? Like they are speaking cult shit. So, like, Mr. Threehorn is completely right. <laughs> yeah, like, you Mr. Know? like, this isn't like he's like a fucking flat earther and he's like, oh, I see the horizon. That's how I know. No, he's like, there probably isn't magic.
0: You know? Yeah, m- Mr. Threehorn's uh, skepticism is, is not treated as, as wrong because he's a skeptic, it's treated as wrong because he's uncurious. You know, like, this movie is about how, you know, you should seek the real answers. You shouldn't just believe whatever, but you should seek the answers. You shouldn't just be uninterested in in learning any more than, you know, what's relevant to your immediate life right now.
1: That's Land Before Time 7, The Stone of Cold Fire. Brian, what did you think overall of this movie?
2: Oh, God. Um, (laughs) It made me miss, like, you know, when kids' movies will occasionally put in a joke or two that only adults will get. I was begging for something like that during this movie, (laughs) but instead it's just all... Just like really namby-pamby kind of entertainment for kids where no one is ever really in danger. Nothing really dramatic ever happens. It's just, it's what I sometimes call a DVD-shaped babysitter.
1: That's a really interesting point because this, like I said before, this is the last one of the series that I watched when I was a kid this came out in uh 2000 first of the decade and uh, I was born Mm -hmm. uh 89 which means that I would have been probably about 10 or 11 when this movie came out that was apparently old enough to never watch another one again (laughs) because I had did not watch any (laughs) of the other movies after this like that was the age where I just like I no, I cannot watch these movies anymore
0: and you know you say it's 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 just this utterly uh inoffensive little little movie this is probably like one of the most hardcore perilous ones that there have been since the first one like we've just been through five previous sequels that are completely inane compared to this like this one has dinosaurs falling off cliffs and dying like this one has somewhat heavier themes of personal guilt. Like this is this is much much worse in that way than any of the others are.
1: Like it's com- it's more wow. yeah. As the villain is more complicated than we're used to, there is some kind of depth to this character which is why even like to this day I remember this 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 movie pretty strongly. So, now that we have finished the movie section, it is time for everybody's favorite segment, Dino Facts with Professor Truthosaurus.
0: Uh yeah so I forgot to uh, prepare a God segment fucking for Dino D- facts.
1: Chris, we give you your own segment, <laughs> so you can talk about dinosaur facts. You begged me to have this in the program, and you got nothing.
0: I forgot.
2: Uh, God I fucking forgot. damn it. I got I got something. Oh Ken Brian, right. what is? Wh- I got I got kind of something. Okay. So just you know as as I was watching the film, as I mentioned, it it occurred to me that the dinosaurs have this very particular way of of naming things. Like it, it's usually they just whatever the most distinguishing characteristic is of something, that becomes their name. So like Littlefoot, Sharp Tooth, Rainbow face. That's how they name things in this world. So my question to all of you guys is, if you were in Land before Time, what would your name be?
0: Uh, well, the the names that the dinosaurs give to species are very, like, toddler-like like that, but the names of the individual characters are actually usually derived from the name of their dinosaur species that they are, with the exception of Littlefoot. It's, like, Sarah for Ceratops, you know, Ceratopsian. Petrie for, like, Pterodactyl, you know. Mr. Threehorn's first name is Tops, as in Triceratops. Like, a lot of the names come from, mm. from something like that. Uh, but I think we would be... Uh, what, what would your name be, Chris? I don't. Know. Oh God, I don't know. What's what kind of dinosaur am
2: I? Yeah, pretend you're yourself. Like, what feature would they, you know, what what would become your name? Uh oh. Like, I don't for know. Me, want me to go first because I, yeah. I introduced. G- this yeah, give us an example. Yeah, yeah, I think they'd probably call me Long Sleeper because uh, <laughs> I like to sleep a lot.
1: Oh yeah, that's there. You go. Who doesn't like sleep, uh, Chris? You got one. Uh, Mister Hair Falling Out. God. Um. <laughs> there you go. My my dinosaur name would be uh, uh, Pretty Anxious would be my dinosaur name because I'm beautiful and I'm losing my mind at all times.
0: I've got a dino fact Okay, section. you got Figuring a dino <laughs> For Dino Facts, uh, I was first thinking about talking about pterosaurs because flyers play such a big role in this movie. But we've got a Land Before Time sequel coming up called The Great Day of the Flyers, which sounds like the ideal time to talk Mm. about pterosaurs. So uh, instead, I'm going to talk a bit about that meteor. We all know that uh, at this point that the extinction of the dinosaurs was caused by a gigantic meteor crashing into the earth. And this was actually not the consensus until very, very recently. Indeed, not really until even the 90s. Uh, there used to be all sorts of theories about where the dinosaurs went. There were theories that they slowly died off due to Continental drift. There were theories that they were outcompeted competed by mammals. There were theories about mass volcanism. There was almost any kind of theory you could imagine um, for how these dinosaurs went extinct. And I, I say theory rather loosely. Most of these were really just hypotheses. They, they were not as well supported as a scientific theory is but the meteor theory it became the dominant theory by means of discovering lots and lots of different forms of evidence for it the meteor theory really began to get traction uh, because of a few key discoveries one was they found the crater when you're looking for a meteor crater you have to take into account the fact that if it happened a long time ago it might not be visible on the surface of the earth anymore because it's been filled in in subsequent millennia by sediment and this was the case with the crater that uh was left by the meteor that killed the dinosaurs they found it um by doing these uh radar scans i believe it was or sonar scans they were able to scan the surface of the earth and pick out uh, subterranean geological features topography that was buried underneath sediment and they found a crater in uh, Mexico. It's on the Yucatan Peninsula. It's about half on land and half in uh, underneath the water. A lot of the rocks and the sediment from the area of this crater dates to about 66 million years ago, which is when that dinosaur extinction very suddenly happened. And the fossil record supports a very rapid extinction of the dinosaurs. It doesn't support a gradual die-off over millions of years. It supports an almost instantaneous geological event. You know, one million years they were there, the next they're gone. You know, it's, it's like instantaneous, from a geological perspective and so they found the crater and it links to the appropriate time it's called now the Chicxulub crater because if you go to the Yucatan in Mexico there's a little town called Chicxulub it's this tiny little fishing town it's got you know no major industries or anything it's in the middle of nowhere but it happens to be in the exact epicenter of the crater so look for Chicxulub on, uh, on Google Maps, and you'll see the location of the crater. And that is one of the only bits of evidence that a modern person can see of the crater impact. Uh, the other one is, if you go to a place called Trinidad Lake, I believe it's in New Mexico, um, that's a very accessible place where you can see a little exposure of the geologic layers from the time of the extinction of the dinosaurs. And there's a little black line, a really thin layer cutting across there of iridium. That layer has been found at the exact same level in places all over the world. Iridium is a very rare element on Earth, but it's very plentiful in meteorites. What happened is this meteor crashed into the Earth, it vaporized, it sent globules of itself, liquid molten meteor up into space. They encircled the Earth and then lava rained down all over the Earth, creating massive forest fires, this huge apocalyptic vent and raining all of this iridium down all over the earth which was so thick it produced a permanent geologic layer that then got buried and right at the moment of the extinction of the dinosaurs you find this as like a line a little cutoff point dinosaur fossils are found beneath it they're not found above it and so finding those two smoking guns the crater and the iridium layer basically confirmed uh, that the dinosaurs were killed by a meteor which is now our uh, ubiquitous belief.
1: That's really interesting, Chris. Hmm. Uh, Professor Truthosaurus, if you will. Um, I would like to provide <laughs> a alternative history. Uh, yes, Dr. Rongodactyl. Uh... Yes, this is my segment, Dr. Rongodactyl. So you are telling our listeners that the world was destroyed by a giant rock millions of years ago. That That's how the dinosaurs were destroyed, Correct. Correct. Um, So I'm going to have to disagree with you there because um, the answers to what happened to the dinosaurs is, ironically enough, in Land Before Time 7, The Stone of Cold Fire. If you remember correctly, at the end of the movie, the uh, aliens, dinosaurs, teleported up to their ship, but not before Littlefoot saw what happened. Well, when they teleported up to that ship, their commanding officers uh, noticed this and were like, hey, what the fuck, guys? Like, dinosaurs know we're real now. You totally screwed up and they're like, oh shit, we're sorry. Look, we're tired, we're stupid, it's fine. The commander at this point is supposed to write a report up and send it to his commander. But because he had already fucked up a dozen other planets, including uh, Mars and Saturn, he was up for a demotion and may actually be um, uh, kicked out of the, the, the space marines. So what he decided to do instead is to uh, blow up the planet. He blew up Earth entirely. This this it's completely destroyed, dis- disintegrated. Entirely? Entirely, just destroyed the planet. And, they, and they, you know, they all like dusted off their hands. They said, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, we're totally, it's totally gonna be fine. Um, Turns out, though, that that planet was a favorite of um, uh, Lord Emperor um, uh, Killy Cloudman that made them go, oh, shit, uh, we we have to do something. So they uh, decided to uh, rebuild the planet, the planet Earth. Uh, which took millions and millions of years and was- was only finished, um, I would say about 6,000 years ago. And at this point, though, the aliens could not remember what dinosaurs looked like, so they're like, Oh, why don't we just, uh, I think they were kind of like this, uh, maybe they're kind of like us, where they're- they kind of stand upright and all these things. Let's put a bunch of random animals on there. Uh, let's call this, uh, this first one Adam, and then we're gonna have another one named Eve. And, uh, you know, they say, uh, the rest is history.
0: Uh, I see. So uh, if, you're, if your uh, hypothesis, uh, doctor, is correct, uh, I should be able to go to uh, the fjords of Norway and see Slardabartfest's signature uh, inside of a glacier. <laughs>
1: yes, uh, I can show it to you. I have it on my, um, my, my uh, camera. It's a little fuzzy, you know, because I, I took it real, from really far away because they wouldn't let me down there. But yes, I can show that to you.
0: Uh, excellent. Well, this will uh, revolutionize the paleontological science. So
1: I've been I've been saying that for decades. That's what I've been saying. Uh,
0: okay. Well, uh, been... that uh, is our science segment for the podcast. And now, Brian, we uh, we leave it to you to answer the question that we ask all of our guests:
2: What is your favorite dinosaur and why? Oh wow. Um. Hmm. I would say my favorite dinosaur is oh god what's the one i don't even know if this is a real species but the one from jurassic park that spits acid
0: that is a uh, dilophosaurus in real life it didn't spit acid it didn't have the frill like the australian frilled lizard and it was uh, a lot bigger
2: all right well i, I don't want to choose a fictional one so then I- I- i'm i gonna say my favorite dinosaur is uh indominus rex
0: that is even more fictional
2: <laughs> <laughs> no i saw it it was in 3d <laughs> Dude, yeah
0: there's a whole movie about it you-
2: Idiot. I like the the
1: one that camouflages. That's a cool
0: one. (laughs) Indominus Rex uh, is based on a bunch of real dinosaurs, including but not limited to Tyrannosaurus Rex, Giganotosaurus, Therizinosaurus, Carnotaurus, Rugops, uh, and Majungasaurus.
1: I like the blue raptor. That one's cool. Oh,
0: yeah, there's raptor DNA in it, too.
1: Well, anyway, that's the end of our podcast. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug before you go?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I want to plug uh, my own podcast. Uh, It's called It Stinks. It's a podcast about 90s animated sitcom The Critic starring John Lovitz as Jay Sherman Uh, We're basically going through the whole series episode by episode. So, yeah, you can find that on Apple, uh, Spotify, all the places you normally find podcasts. And, and, yeah, you can find it on social media at It Stinks Pod on all the things, Facebook, Twitter, etc
1: it's a very funny podcast uh, definitely check it out and uh, now we leave land before time land which is what we call the portal dimension
0: uh you know it's best not to think about it it'll make your mind invert
1: okay let's let's just do it all right goodbye everybody
0: activating the time portal. <laughs> Well, another episode successfully completed. We're really uh, starting to starting to love these movies.
1: Yeah, it's almost like we've been uh, sent in some to some kind of Sisyphean task.
0: I, I think that's uh, a slightly uh, apt metaphor. Um, a more apt metaphor might be that uh, we've been in hell this whole time and uh, we're having to watch these films as our eternal punishment for all our misdeeds in life. And uh, incidentally, that's also our actual reality right now.
1: Yeah, it turns out that the uh,
0: that cannon blast from the last episode... Um, killed us. Yeah, cannon blasts are fatal. Did you know that? No. um, I thought they just left your face all kind of charred.
1: So, you're probably wondering what hell is like. It's a nice place. Our room does not have a pool, but it has a nice view.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's okay because the pools are lava around here. So, I mean, I'm not terribly, uh, you know, we're not missing out. Which
1: is actually a perfect time for you to come in, listeners, because uh, we've been working on a plan to escape from hell. Because... Our work isn't done. We still have to sue the dinosaur that's suing us.
0: Yes. We have uh, a very important job here. And press charges uh, for shooting us with a cannon. Yes? That's illegal. It's
1: it's like murder. It's dinosaur murder. Dinosaur murder dinosaur did it.
0: If we deserve to burn in hell, the dinosaur deserves to burn in dinosaur hell. Yes. Are we in dinosaur hell? Wait a minute. Come to think of it, Everybody here is a dinosaur, but us.
1: What kind of transgressions do you think dinosaurs did in order to go to hell?
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. Y- you, you've also just watched eight Land Before Time movies. What, what do you Oh, what did do you dinosaurs, think? like, make those movies? Well, they did all the things in those movies. Those movies are historical documents.
1: No, I think um, those dinosaur, those Land Before Time movies were animated by dinosaurs, and that's why they're in hell now.
0: Oh,
1: that makes sense. Well, that's not the point. The point is is that we need to escape from hell and I have the perfect solution. We just have to stop believing in it and then we'll go back uh, to the real world.
0: Oh, so what you're saying is if I step into this bubbling pool of lava here and I just convince myself that it doesn't exist, yeah. it'll just like turn into to like apricot jam all around me?
1: Yes, and it won't hurt and you'll get set back to the real world. It won't hurt at all. It's not gonna hurt because it's not real.
0: Not a little bit. Hell isn't real. Okay. So So if I if I reach my my leg out like I'm doing right now over. That would this, just this jump in. Don't lava, d- just
1: jump in. That's I'm feeling best.
0: a lot of waves of heat from this lava. Okay, this this isn't real and I'm gonna jump in the lava right now. Yeah. It's real! Oh God, it's real! Yeah, you, lied now, you lied to me! Now see, Chris. Now see, Chris.
1: You play this big game of being an atheist, but clearly you still have some kind of faith in a fake religion. I, I'm disappointed in you, and I'm going to tell all the assholes on atheist YouTube that you're just a big old phony. Well, while I do that, like, oh, uh, so is Please turn in uh, next time we review uh, the next Slam Before Time film in the series. This land was made for time and land